around the universe, you see a God that designed it all. I'm reminded of Francis Crick's words. He was the Nobel Prize winner who identified the double helix structure of DNA. And I remember one of his quotes when something like this, scientists, and he's an atheist, right? Scientists must constantly remind themselves that even though what they're looking at looks designed, it's not. It's a process of random evolution. And what he's saying is this, even though it looks designed, we can't give God the credit because God is never going to be an option in atheistic science. We can't give God the glory. Well, the Bible says just the opposite. We're to look at this creation and say, we serve a God of amazing wonders. And men, by the way, men, this Saturday, love for you to join our men's breakfast. Uh, Mike Slater, Yale University graduate. It's going to be a great time, man. He's on the radio. This guy is just a a wonderful, uh, not only radio host, but he loves the Lord. So bring a friend, um, bring uh, your son or daughter, sons, daughters, military are free, and guests are free. It's only $5. We'd love to pack out this place with our men. So, man, would you come this Saturday, join us? It's going to be a great morning. Well, we're going to open up the Word of God. And uh, to do that, we need to pray. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have to open up your word, God. Thank you for what your word is. It's our guidebook for our, for our lives. It's our owner's manual for our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would just cherish it and love it because it comes from you. It's a gift from you. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, today my uh, sermon is about this. I called it, Say What? When God asks you to do something that's not reasonable, it doesn't seem like that should be done. It seems a bit odd. There are times like that. Think of Jericho, right? The people of Jericho were being attacked by the Israelites. The Israelites were going to conquer the land that God promised to them. They were a walled, fortified city. But God told them not to attack the walls, but to march around it once the first day, to do that a second time on the second day, and then a third time, then a fourth time, then a fifth time, then a sixth time. And on the seventh day, the plan changed. And Joshua was probably, yeah, yeah, good, good idea, God. Change the plan. We're getting tired of marching around the city. They weren't going to march around the city one time. How many times did they march around the city? Seven times. And then God told them, give a great shout, have your trumpet players play their trumpets, and the walls over there, they're going to crash down. And Joshua probably thought, man, we knew we had bad trumpet players, but not that bad. I mean, that the walls would crash down. But see, God was testing them, right? Say, what, God? That's your military strategy for conquering this well-fortified walled city? Say, what, God? There are times in our lives when our flesh, our old nature, wants us to do something contrary to the Word of God because God is calling us to do something radically different than what the world is all about. And that's when we need to say, God, I will follow you. Here's the bottom line. The disciples were discouraged following their failures leading up to the cross. But Jesus wanted to restore them and remind them of the importance of following him even in times of disappointment. You know, when Jesus was heading toward the cross, all part of God's plan. It was a masterful plan. The disciples did not do well. They received an F grade for how they acted and reacted during the time of the cross. They scattered and fled from Jesus and abandoned him. Peter denied him three times. And even after seeing Jesus alive, he appeared to them three times after he had risen from the dead. This would be the fourth time that we're going to read about in just a second. They they were struggling. 
they knew they had failed Jesus. They knew they had not acted like they should. So with that in mind, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 21. If you don't have your Bibles, there should be one nearby. We love opening our Bibles here at Riverview Church and reading right out of the Word of God. John chapter 21, this was a book written by the Apostle John, one of the disciples. He identifies himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? He didn't identify himself by name, but we know it was John. Verse 1 of John 21 says this, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught what? Nothing. Peter was a pro fisherman, but that night he caught zero, nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet... The disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Now, if there's one question a fisherman doesn't want to hear when they've caught nothing, it's what? Do you have any fish? Because you have to answer it. They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Say what? Okay, so we've been, you want us to cast it on the right, that means we've been casting it on the wrong side. Okay, we get it. We want to cast it on the right side. Hey, cast it on the other side of the boat. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea, and other disciples came In the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Don't you want to know where Jesus got those fish from? Would you love to have seen how he caught those fish? He's standing on shore, but somehow he has fish on the fire. Did they just swim up to his feet? Did they jump onto the sand because he commanded them to? It's another miracle in this story. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Another indication of the truthfulness of God's word. They counted every fish and told us. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now one of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to disciples after he was raised from the dead. See, when I read this story, and if you read scholars and other commentators, here's the bottom line. Peter was quitting. Peter was going back to fishing. There's no indication that he had fished while he was in the earthly public ministry of Jesus, but he was going back to fishing, to his old way of life, because he felt like a failure. He had denied Jesus three times with a servant girl. He felt like a failure. Have you ever had those moments? Feeling like a failure. I I don't know if you heard, there was a record broken in Major League Baseball this year. Uh, It actually happened this past week. One guy in one day struck out eight times. Aaron Judge sets doubleheader record with eight strikeouts in one day. 
a new Major League Baseball record. Is that a record you want to have? No, absolutely not. You're hoping and praying, God, please, let someone strike out nine times. I want my name out of that record book. That's not a record you want to have. If you're a basketball player and you haven't scored any points, you don't want to hear somebody ask you, hey, how many points did you, they never ask how many rebounds. It's always, how many points did you score? Uh, None. If you're a salesman and you haven't had any sales this month, you don't want someone to ask, hey, how did you do this? How many sales? Zero. These were pro fishermen. They had zero fish. And when you read this story, I like how one commentator put it. He said this, after his denials, Peter was acutely aware of his own inadequacy, his own failings, his own weakness. Rather than stepping out into the power of the resurrection and moving forward with Jesus' call in his life to be an apostle, Peter had reverted back to being a fisherman. And evidently, he brought the others with him. Like an athlete who lets down the team in the big moment, Peter had fumbled the ball after vowing to be a superstar. Remember his words before the cross? Hey, Jesus, even if all these other guys deny you, I will not. I will die for you. He saw himself as a superstar. Hey, all these others, they might, but not me, Jesus. Never deny you. Hey, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. You're not the superstar you think you are. He was discouraged and disillusioned and felt like quitting. And I want to ask you today, have you ever had that feeling? Have you ever had that feeling, I've disappointed the Lord, I've disappointed people around me, I've not been walking like I should. But here's the good news, and this is a powerful message in the Word of God. Our God is the God of the second chance, of another chance. See, the disciples themselves were struggling with guilt for what had happened. They'd abandoned Jesus when he was arrested. They were struggling with failure. They were struggling with the shame. Think of Peter denying Jesus. Jesus knew it. Peter knew that Jesus knew it. They were struggling with discouragement. And in our lives, if you've ever had any of those feelings, I know I have. This is a powerful passage. It's one of the most beautiful passages that highlight Jesus' desire to restore us. Jesus' desire to say, you can still move forward. Even after denying me three times, Peter, Peter would become the one who would be the leader of the early church. When you read Acts chapter 2, Peter is the one who stood up and gave his first sermon and 3,000 people came to know the Lord. His next sermon, 5,000. He was used by God in a powerful way. Now, Now, God's love for restoration should never be an excuse to fail Jesus. It should never be an excuse to allow sin to reign in our lives. We need to get rid of it. But we know that we serve a God who's awesome at restoration. He is an awesome God. When we feel like giving up, he wants to give us that second chance, that next chance and restore us. So here's the first thing I want to challenge you with today. Don't go back when you get down. If there's an epidemic in our country today, it's discouragement. It's being defeated. You probably heard of the Kate Spade and and Anthony Bourdain this week, right? Taking their lives. Discouragement is rampant in our country today. 
people are discouraged. They're feeling defeated. They're feeling like failures. And I want to tell you, discouragement can be a terrible thing. It can suck you down into a whirlpool of defeat and hopelessness. But see, that's when our faith needs to kick in. That's when we need to say, no, God, I trust you that there is a God who holds my life in his hands. I will follow you today. And in the moment when I feel defeated, in the moment when I feel like not drawing near to God, it's that moment when I do need to draw near to God all the more, when I do need to do the right things that are described in the word of God. It's at that moment of defeat that you need to have that mental discipline. That's really what Romans 12 talks about when we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. We talked about that verse quite a bit as we did that series on the book of Romans. It's at that moment you need to say, I need to do the right thing. I can't allow Satan to defeat me. I can't allow Satan to bring me down this path of discouragement and defeat, thinking that I cannot be used by God. You can be. And if you're like me, I'm sure you've read testimonies of even murderers in prison who came to faith in Christ and had a tremendous impact in the lives of other prisoners, even though they knew they'd be there for the rest of their lives. Because our God is the God of the next chance. But too often what happens, and I believe it happened with the disciples as they were pulled down into this uh, desire to revert back to being fishermen and ignore the call on their lives to be an apostle. See, they lost their biblical perspective. They lost the perspective of God's word. They began to neglect the thinking that God's word challenges us to think with. I want to ask you today, Do you faithfully look out on the world and see it through the lens of God's word? Do not lose your biblical perspective. Do not lose the perspective that Jesus is with you every step of the way. Every step of the way. He's never left you, ever. If you're a follower of his, he's never left you. He's never forsaken you. And even though there are times you may wonder, why God? We've talked about the fact that the next level of maturity is not to say, why God, but what are you trying to what? Teach me God through this. That's when you know you're growing. Instead of saying, why does this happen to me, God? This doesn't happen to other people around here. Why is it happening to me? No, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? But too often people get this bitter spirit. They begin to lose their biblical perspective. They begin to doubt the fact that God is in control. They begin to doubt the fact that there's more to this life than just this life, that there's an eternal life that God promises. And we know that this is just a waiting room before we enter into the place that God has prepared for us for eternity that will blow us away. We lose our biblical perspective. The next thing that happens is we focus on the problems and our failures. See, here's what God wants us to do, my friends. He does not want us to focus on the immensity of our problems. He doesn't want me to do that, even though I am tempted to do that. The immensity of our problems, maybe not even just mine, but the problems of this world. What God wants us to focus on is the immensity of our God. The immensity of our God. Like our God promises to help us through whatever struggle we are going through. And even though the disciples had failed, even though Peter had denied Jesus three times, Jesus is reaching out to Peter to restore him. Hey, Peter, I want you back. 
I want you walking on the path again. You're not reverting to be a fisherman. You're, re- you're, you're, you're going to fulfill the call of being a fisher of people. You will fish for people and the hearts and eternities of people. See, too often we focus on the immensity of our problems and our own failures. And then what happens is this. We begin this negative self-talk. I can't do anything for God. I, I can't serve God. I'm sure Peter struggled with that. How can I ever be a leader when I deny Jesus three times? When I told him just hours before that I would never deny him, that I would die for him, I thought myself a superstar, but realize now I'm a failure. See, we begin that negative self-talk. That's not from the Lord, my friends. I want you to know that. If you begin this negative self-talk about yourself and your abilities and how you can't do it, how, how you can't make an impact for Christ, that is from Satan. You are walking down the path of the evil one. He wants you to be talking exactly like that. When we know what the Word of God says is every one of you has a gift and ability that can be used by God to build his kingdom. Every one of us working together is what makes the body of Christ healthy. What makes us strong is when we are all doing it together. And if there is a problem, we forgive, we don't divide. If there is a situation that is a difficult situation, we love, we don't hate. We don't seek revenge. Why? Because we're doing it God's way. If we do feel discouraged, we don't pull away from the body of Christ. We join in even more aggressively. If you read Psalm 73, it's one of my favorite Psalms in the Old Testament. Read it in your quiet time this week. The psalmist's name was Asaph. He was struggling with looking out on the world and seeing all these prosperous people that didn't love God. And he says this, have I been wasting my time? Until what? In that psalm, you're going to read it. He goes into the sanctuary of God and begins to worship. See, he did exactly what makes him a hero today. He drew near to God in his struggle. He drew into the sanctuary of God and worshiped God. I want to tell you, that's where you find healing. It's not moving away. Peter, it's not reverting back to what you should not be doing. That's not what God called you to do. See, and the next thing is this, we isolate ourselves from other believers. And we get even further pulled down into this spiral of defeat and hopelessness. Then the next step is this. We believe that we are defeated in the struggle. We believe there's no hope. And we go down into this sense of hopelessness. We wrongly conclude that there is no hope. But this story should remind you that there is always hope in Jesus Christ. There is no sin. There is no failure. There is nothing in your life that cannot be covered by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Why? Because you're aware of how awesome that sacrifice is. That God died to free you from those failures, from those sins, from those moments of disobedience in your life. So when you get down, don't go back. Do not go back. All the more we need to move forward. Draw closer to God. God has a greater plan for you than this world does. The world wants you to be defeated. The world wants you to sit on the sideline. Satan wants you to feel defeated. Satan wants you to sit on the sideline. That is not God's place for you. It's not God's place for you. Here's the second thing I want you to remember. Remember that God works in amazing, 
awesome ways. Here's one thing we need to realize, right? We, we get this. Jesus caused them to catch the overflowing catch, right? When you read that text, that's obvious. Hey, cast your net on the right. You've been casting on the wrong side, the left side. Cast it on the right side. Jesus, that doesn't make sense. We're fishermen. It doesn't matter what side of the boat we cast the net off. It doesn't make sense. But Jesus worked out that detail. When they threw their net in, can you just imagine? 153 fish swam into the net. That's Jesus. That's the power of Jesus to work in ways that we cannot understand. There are no coincidences with Jesus. Jesus is working out all the circumstances of our lives. There's not one detail about our lives that he's not aware of. If he knows the number of hairs on our head, he knows our lives. If he knows that about us, if he knows that detail, which is so inconsequential, how much more is he involved in? And we're blown away by it. I'm blown away by it. God, how can you be so intimately involved in my life with all of these 7 billion plus people in the world? But see, if you are doubting that ability, then you are believing in a God who's limited, who's finite. See, we have an unlimited God who created 400 billion galaxies that we're aware of and maybe more. Our God is unlimited. Too often we diminish God. We diminish his power. See, Jesus caused these fish to swim into the net. And by the way, the miracle, that the, and he even puts it in here, right? The net did not break. Another miracle. Jesus had fish cooking on the side. Another miracle. Probably the biggest miracle of all is that the disciples obeyed Jesus and threw it on the other side, amen? That they would even bother to do that is a miracle. See, Jesus caused the catch to be overflowing. But here's another detail of the story. Jesus caused them to catch nothing. Hey, Peter, if you ignore my calling on your life, you're going to be a failure. You're going to regret it. Jesus caused Peter to catch nothing. Why? Because he wanted to drive home a lesson. Peter, don't go back. Don't do that. You're disobeying what my calling is on your life. You're, you're not aware of the ways in which I can work in your life. How I can even use that negative circumstance of denying me three times to a servant girl. How I can use that to strengthen you for ministry in the future. How I can use that to be a story that you can share with others who feel discouraged. You can say to others who feel like they failed the Lord, hey, I denied Jesus three times. And somehow Jesus could still use me. Here's the third thing I want you to remember. It's this. Obedience always leads to blessing. Obedience always leads to blessing. Now, you might say, well, Mel, I know a story of a guy who obeyed the Lord and he was fired. You know what? It, when, it, when it comes to having favor with God or favor with man, we should always choose the favor with God first. Amen? Always choose that first. Because obedience always leads to blessing. Now, some people out there will wrongly say, well, hey, yeah, if you obey God, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. That's not biblical. If you hear that message, it's not biblical. 
There are people who've obeyed the Lord and have a very difficult time and their lives have not ended well. Can you give me an example of someone who obeyed the Lord amazingly, who obeyed the Father in heaven amazingly, but his life did not end very well, at least not from a human standpoint. And that example is, Job is a good one. Jesus. Jesus lived perfectly on the earth, yet he was nailed to a cross. Yet God could take that cross and turn it into a victory. The same is true for you, my friends. Even when doing the right thing has been difficult for you, you need to know obedience always leads to blessing. Here's a little reminder, by the way. Agreeing that what Jesus said was right didn't bring blessing. If those disciples in the boat said, you know what, we should throw it on the right side of the boat. We should do that. That's not a bad idea. And they sat and talked about what a great idea that was to throw it on the other side of the boat. Would they have ever received the blessing if they just talked about it all day, about how good of an idea that was? No. They would not have received the blessing. Talking about it, they wouldn't have gotten the blessing. Here's an, I love what Jesus said in Matthew 15, 8. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They're talking a good game but they're not living it out in their hearts. See, there's a danger of that. Here's another thing we need to be reminded of. Determining that they would absolutely do it later didn't bring the blessing. If they said, you know what, it's a great idea with Jesus, and I'm going to do that much later. Next time I go fishing, I'm going to do that. Would they have received the blessing at that moment? No. Saying you're going to do it later when you know that's what Jesus told you to do, it does not bring the blessing. There's a great parable that Jesus told of two sons. He told one of his sons to go out in the field, and the guy goes, the son goes, I'll do it. He said, I'll do it, Dad. I'll go out in the field. But he didn't. He thought twice about it and didn't go out in the field, disobeyed his dad. Then the next son said the same thing. He says, I will, sir, but he did not go. One said that he wouldn't go, I'm sorry, and then changed his mind and went. The other said he would go and didn't. Which is the one that obeyed the will of the Father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. See, the son that said, I'm not going to go out in the field, Dad, and then changed his mind and did it, he's the one that received the blessing. He's the one that obeyed the Father. Here's another thing we need to be remembered reminded of. Telling others how good it is to do what Jesus says didn't bring God's full blessing. Even telling people around you what a good idea it would be to throw out the net and do what Jesus told you to do didn't bring the blessing. This is what brought the blessing, putting it into practice and doing what Jesus said brought the blessing. See, what brought the 153 fish into the possession of the disciples is when they actually did what Jesus said. And I know you're thinking I'm just splitting hairs here, but it's important. We need to do what Jesus says. We need to do it. We can't just agree with it. We can't say what a great idea it is to have a missions program and not have a heart for missions ourselves and not support the opportunity to reach out to others, not be part of that plan ourselves. We can't talk about what a great idea it is to pray, but then never pray for the needs of our lives, for the needs of others, for the church. I want to ask you today, how many are praying for Riverview Church in their prayer life? 
God, use my church to reach people for you. God, use Riverview to grow up people in their walk with you. We, we know it's good to pray. We agree with it. But are we doing it? We don't get the blessing until we do it. And I'm not saying prayer is always easy. I'm not saying praying always comes naturally. It really is a test of our faith. Do I believe God enough to obey him, to pray and lift up the needs of my own life and those around me and the needs of the church and pray that God would move in the hearts and lives of people here at Riverview and with our missionaries and others that we are connected with? Love what James one twenty two says. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See, someone who hears the word and agrees with it, and what a great idea. You're deceiving yourself if you've never put it into practice. See, the disciples, they got the blessing when they threw the net in the other side. When they did what seemed unreasonable. When they obeyed the Lord. Here's the next thing I want you to remember. Do whatever you need to draw near to Jesus. Don't you love what Peter does? When he realizes it's the Lord, he throws his garment on. He jumps in the water. He had walked on water already for a while, right, before this? Now he jumps in the water because he wants to draw near to Jesus. He's desperate to draw near to Jesus. He realizes now that this is the Lord that he denied and this was his opportunity to make it right. And I believe with all my heart that Peter's ministry was expanded by the restoration that Jesus gave him. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians. Keep your finger in John chapter 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is a beautiful passage. I love this passage. This encourages me. In my ministry, turn, turn to verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, my friends. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all what? Of all comfort. How many of you ever need comfort? Please remain seated. Yeah, amen. I know I have in my life. We all at times need comfort. God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to what? To comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I love this. What he's saying is this. When you do the right thing, when you move forward in obedience, you obey what Jesus said. You're not just talking about it. You're doing it. You'll see yourself walk through any affliction stronger at the other end of it, more in love with Jesus at the other end of it, knowing that this life is not all there is. Even if you have a terminal illness, you know and are reminded how fragile our lives here are on this earth and how hopeless people are without the Lord. But you're reminded of how much your life is in God's hands when you move from this life to the next. See, when you walk that way, God opens up amazing opportunities of ministry for you. Because I can't tell you how many times I've met people who've gone through similar things to what I've gone through. And somehow God can use me, wow, to share what I learned from that difficulty with others who are going through the same thing now. See, I call it the fountain of God's comfort. Blessed be the God of, and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us so that we may be able to comfort others. So when the God of comfort 
pours out his comfort into our lives, we are comforted. We, we are comforted by the fact that we know there's a God who loves us and holds our lives in his hands. But here's the next step. We need, therefore, then to comfort others with that same comfort we've received from God. To tell someone, hey, don't give up. Don't go back. Don't revert. You know you're feeling defeated now. You're feeling discouraged. You're feeling disappointed maybe with Not yet. Oh. I finally have your attention. So we don't want to give up, right? We don't want to do that. Uh, we, we, we want to make sure we take that next step. God's comforted me, therefore I will now comfort others. And I want to tell you, when that moment happens, you're going to say, God, thank you for allowing my life to somehow minister to others. Thank you for allowing me to be in the bigger picture of building your kingdom. It's an awesome feeling that you know you're part of something much bigger than yourself. That's powerful. And I want to end with this. I know we're getting near the end of our time, but Jesus is awesome at the ministry of restor restoration. He's not average at it. He's not a rookie at this. He's, he's awesome at the ministry of restoration. See, I put it this way. In reversing Peter's three denials, see, if you go back to John chapter 21, you know what happened. After they finished breakfast, verse 15 of John 21, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? You know, it's interesting the words that are used here. Jesus uses the word agape in the Greek. Now, scholars will say don't put too much weight on the Greek words here, even though it is interesting. Because they were speaking what language? Aramaic. So they weren't speaking Greek. But Jesus uses the word agape. He says, Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He uses the word phileo, which is the word for brotherly affection. So in essence, Jesus said, Peter, do you unconditionally love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I have a brotherly affection for you. Jesus said it again. He said, feed my lambs. And he said, Peter said, Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, this is where Jesus switches. Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Love me with a brotherly affection. Peter was grieved because he said it a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I phileo you. I love you with a brotherly affection. Now, scholars debate how significant that change is, but obviously in the Aramaic, Peter didn't mirror exactly what Jesus said because he probably was still struggling. But Jesus' response to Peter was, Peter, I still have a task for you. You're going to feed my sheep. You're going to lead the church. You're going to be that person who stands up and preaches and 3,000 people will come to know me the first time you preach. Peter, I'm restoring you. 
In reversing Peter's three denials, Jesus gave Peter a new start and a new challenge. Peter would indeed be fishing again for people and leading in the task of feeding God's sheep. Please, all of you, know that Jesus is awesome at restoration. He's awesome at it. Don't ever let any defeat sideline you from doing the right thing. Don't ever let any defeat diminish your ability to use your gifts and abilities for God. I wrote this, Jesus desires to do the same for you. Don't diminish the special call that the Lord Jesus has placed upon your life. He will meet you in your disappointment or hurts and challenge you to get back to your calling to live once more for his kingdom. My friends, if you're feeling defeated today, know that every one of us here in this room have felt those same feelings. I have too. Know that every one of us, at least I have, and I know most probably have, have had feelings of discouragement and doubt to the point that they have thought, am I sidelined from serving God? You're not. Our God is awesome at restoration. The whole cross is all about restoration. There is no failure so big that God can't restore you. Please allow your life to be one that glorifies Jesus Christ more than anything else. Don't fall into the lies and deceit of Satan in this world, but realize our God is awesome at restoration. Amen, church? Amen. Let's pray together. As your heads are bowed today, maybe there are some of you who are feeling discouraged, defeated. You need to know you're not alone. All of us have been there at one point or another, and some in this room are there with you at that point of discouragement. But Jesus is an awesome God, and he will take these times of discouragement and make you stronger and more fit to serve him in his kingdom, to make your life even more of one that can make an impact in the lives of others as you take his comfort and use it to comfort others that God's going to bring across your path. And you'll be able to tell your story of how God brought you through the storm, through the trial, to the other side. Lord Jesus, we love you. Love you, Jesus. Riverview Church, it's all yours. You're the head of the church. We all just humble ourselves before you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are awesome at forgiveness. You're awesome at restoration. Thank you for the example that the word gives us of how you restored even Peter, who denied you three times at your hour of greatest need. Lord, we love you. We're here to serve you. We commit ourselves to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.